We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 78, Return of the King. My name is David Seville, and back from his fancy vacation, it's Travis Sowers. How are you, sir? Feeling kingly this evening, David. How are you? Mm-hmm. I was saying uh, earlier on the mic check that one half of that title is true, and I believe that it is you have returned. I've certainly returned, and I did definitely go on vacation, so I'd say it's entirely true. Mm-hmm. So what is king an acronym for? Like, kind of um, insane numbers. I'm Nerd I'm guy? Here. Nerd guy. That's a good one. I like yeah, that one. That works. All right. I do that. Didn't you have drafting by the Travis system way back in the day? Yes, the Travis system. Um, tell everyone how much you mulligan. Uh, refuse to mulligan. Um, a was, what was A? Always tell people you don't mulligan. No, it was, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along those lines. It was pretty terrible if I remember correctly. <laughs> it was awesome. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so you feeling refreshed? You feeling good? I am. It was good to get out and get a vacation. I actually missed streaming. I was about three days in, um, and that's how long it took for me to be like, I kind of wish I was home. And then I, I just got to where I missed streaming. I was like, I really like the interaction. I like doing that. Like, had a great time. We were out at the beach with family and back in the old home state. So I got to eat barbecue again, which I haven't had in years. Uh, so it was, it was good to go back and visit North Carolina. But I, I'm... I'm glad to be home and I'm glad to be back and, and doing what I enjoy doing most, which is playing magic. I heard a story the other day that talked about the ideal vacation timeline and you're supposed to peak around day eight. So the fact that you peaked around day three kind of means that you probably enjoy your streaming job a lot more than most people enjoy their regular job. Yeah, there were times where I'd go on vacation when I was in sales and I'd be gone for a week and a half and still <laughs> didn't want to go back. And I just I, I didn't have that here. So I, I'm very thankful for the people that allow me to do what I what I do, because this is this is the happiest I've ever been. Hopefully, I may get good at this game one day too. Yeah, I mean that would be great too if you could provide some uh, actual skill content instead of just entertainment value. But yeah, I lean on you for that though, so we're good. We'll take we'll take what we can get. So, um, what have you been drafting this week? M nineteen. M nineteen. The past couple days for sure, but honestly, I I spent a long time drafting Hour of Devastation that's my favorite draft format that has ever been. And it was an absolute blast to go back and just redraft it. I think I have 90 hour of devastation packs in my account on arena now, because I just jammed them as much as I could. And uh, it, it was a little bit of a, a jab to go from drafting that into going and, and drafting M19. You had stipulated or speculated, I guess is the word, in uh, I think the last episode that maybe there wasn't quite as much of a place to show off your skills in a core set as there was in in an expert level set. And I argued with you because I'm argumentative by nature, but I think you were actually right. It's just, um, I don't know. Is it, is it more, not high variance, but like the decisions that you make um, seem to be 
furthering a very simple game plan compared to Hour of Devastation. Right, in Hour of Devastation, you're making decisions to whether to cycle or not. Are you playing the long game? Are you playing the short game? Do you need to hit your lands? In M19, I mean, your really only card draw is like divination and tormenting voice, right? Where you're not, you're not pushing the game longer in a lot of cases unless that's your specific game plan. So I find that that um, you're just dumping your hand and then hoping that you're winning combat. Basically, it's a very combat oriented set. I think a lot of attacking, a lot of blocking, which feels real good. Like I like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it doesn't feel like there's the complexities as there would be in Hour of Devastation or even Dominaria, for example, which is fine. It's fine. I, honestly, I felt like I just had a, a huge edge on the field in Hour of Devastation because I knew that deserts were worth first picking. And not, like a lot of my chat now are people who are relatively new to Magic because of Arena, which is awesome. Like That's what we're looking for from Arena. But a lot of them had never drafted Hour of Devastation before. So they're looking at, uh, you remember the, the black zombie 2-2 with Afflict 1? They're looking at that and like, that looks like a pretty reasonable pick when there's a desert in the pack. And I'm like, no way. We're just absolutely not interested in that. So like I end up with a deck with, you know, five cycling lands and my opponents don't have any. And there's just, there's kind of not that knowledge gap available in M19. But as you mentioned, it does seem to be a very combat-centric uh, set and I've actually enjoyed getting back into that because Dominaria was quite the dirtle fest. So was Hour of Devastation. I mean, Ixalan was a bit of a combat fest, but I skipped a lot of that. Uh, so it's kind of nice to get back to it. it. It reminds me of a little bit of a powered down Origins. I would I would agree. It's definitely not as aggressive as Origins was, or at least there weren't the aggressive starts um, that you can get in Origins just by having a two drop in your deck. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Free blade anyone? I don't miss renown at all, um, and I do like that. There's a lot of kind of viable strategies. It seems that auras you can go all in on, and you don't necessarily get punished for it as frequently as you would in other sets, which is which is fun because you can kind of play these build around, or you can play these aura style decks. And I mean, unless you're putting it on a vine mare, your opponent, you know, they have a couple of options to deal with it, but it's not that frequent that somebody has a murder in their deck. So it's kind of opens a lot of. Um, bluffing attacks and and double blocks and taking risks in combat which i kind of like i feel like i can get an edge there if i'm paying attention to the game state and i know what's in my opponent's hand or i can guess at what's in my opponent's hand um i'm, I'm kind of bad at that this week though i totally missed that my opponent brought back spit flame to their hand last week and totally ruined a game because of it so um <laughs> you kind of have to still pay attention like just because it's a core set doesn't mean you can take it take a match off right it's it's still magic and it's still competitive to the you know, to the max, but, um, it's definitely less taxing. Um, and and so what you're looking for, I think, is you're looking for your advantages in drafting. So if if you're a better drafter, I think you can push those edges a little bit more because you're going to find the cards that do better in combat, for example, or you're going to find out things like abnormal endurance is just a dumb card in this format, whereas it's kind of predecessor. I forget what it was called before. It wasn't abnormal endurance, but it was something very similar supernatural stamina there you go and that was two plus regenerate instead of two plus enter the battlefield again right nope it was the exact same card for one less mana was it yep which one am i thinking of that was regenerate butcher's glee yeah butcher's glee was not as good but supernatural stamina was in uh m and cat block and the the challenge was like it was pretty dang good in triple m and cat uh but not so and it was still okay in hour of devastation but like it's so good here, even for a mana more. It's kind of ridiculous. The reason is, I think, is the enter the battlefield effects. And there's a yeah. lot of good enter the battlefield effects across the board, kind of at all mana points, right? Like you have 
good two drops that come into play that either have enter the battlefield or in doom to center it has a decent leave the battlefield effect um and then you also have things at three mana things at four mana like gravedigger like abnormal endurancing a gravedigger is probably the greatest feeling in the in the uncommon slot that you can get in this format i think um and there's things like salvager of secrets as well as you go up the chain so there's pretty much never a bad time to hold up the one in a black for this and if my opponent has one in a black up for it and they have a gravedigger back or something like that it's like I'm probably just throwing away my creature for infinite value on my opponent's side of the table, and I always <laughs> have to think about that. So, um, so, so I find like things like that, and I think the people that picked up on that early had an advantage early. I think that's come around a bit now, but um, I even like things like Sure Strike a bit more than I used to. I think um, just mm-hmm. because I'm always attacking, I'm always blocking, um, and very rarely am I, you know, am I good and am I either wide enough to beat them without having to use these things or do I have enough removal that I can get things out of the way and just kind of crunch in with my two twos and two threes and things like that? It usually seems like I have to force my way through with something. Um, I've also found that I'm not spending my premium removal on things kind of like we were in Dominaria, or at least I was where I was saving my premium removal for their inevitable bomb or legendary creature that I had to kill. It's kind of the same thing now, except I'm just accepting that I'm just trading my creatures for things, right? Like if they play a three, three, I have a three, two, you know, I'll block or I'll attack. Like, I just don't care because my murders and my lightning strikes and my luminous bonds are at such a premium, it seems like, that um, I need to save them for things that I can't kill in combat. Like, I can't kill a 6-6 in combat. Um, I'm using them to avoid double blocking and things like that. So I'm basically trying to smooth out my risk by taking a known quantity early by trading a 3-drop for a 3-drop and being okay with that and saving my murders and my, you know, unconditional removal spells for things that I might not be able to deal with in combat, whether that be a 6-6 Trampler or a 6-6 Flyer or whatever I can't deal with. So, um, you know, I've murdered my share of 4-5 Wolves because I can't beat a 4-5 Wolf on the ground sometimes. And um, and, and it feels good to know that I'm, I'm crafting my game plan around that. So I think you can get that edge from drafting, obviously, these, these good cards and getting these two-for-ones, good end-of-the-battlefield creatures. But also, we've talked about before, is rationing your removal, playing smart, mm-hmm. um, and gaining those extra percentage points. Because, you know, you're going to get run over by a Vine Mare that's suited up every once in a while. You have to play smart in all the other games to kind of make up that difference. Yeah, I've, I found all of the two-mana combat tricks to be quite good. Um, Mighty Leap is still my favorite. I've gone into Y, you know, many times, because you can kind of get that Lava Axe out of it conditionally sometimes. But I found all of them to be good. I think... Uh, Unnatural Endurance is my favorite, but the other three being Mighty Leap, Sure Strike, and Titanic Growth, they're just great. They do exactly what you want. They win you a combat. If you're careful with your instant speed removal and you can catch an opponent using it, uh, a a combat trick on them and get your two for one, I've been going for that when I have the opportunity to take it. Uh, But I think some of what you've mentioned is like, it's a core set. We've got a lot of relatively vanilla creatures they do have some interesting enter the battlefield abilities, but once they're there, they're just kind of two twos, two threes, three threes. So they're just going to bump into each other sometimes. And it comes out to who can leverage that advantage and get a two for one out of a combat trick or clear the, the right creature at the right time. Yeah, I think it more so in this format than in any other recent format, I have let my three three trade in combat and with a combat trick in my hand and been okay with it. And, and I think that's just because... 
I know that I can get the long game if I have these tricks and keep these removal spells around. So it's interesting. I, I, I find it amazing that different formats play differently when they're all basically the same cards in the end. Yeah. Right? Like, like you get your 2-2 two, two for 2 that has an enter the battlefield effect that gets a token or something like that. And, and that's the same in every set in white, basically. And, you know, it, it's just the, the different knobs and things that they tweak to make the, the format entirely different is always quite amazing to me. Yeah, overall, I'm happy with it. I, I, you ever been to one of them fancy meals where they bring you out a salad and then you have a soup, and before you get to the main course, they bring you out a little sorbet so you can cleanse your palate before you try the main meal? Is that what M19, it's the sorbet of the the five-course meal? That's exactly what it is. Between Dominary and Ravnica, we just needed a hard reset to be like, y'all remember how combat tricks work, right? You can still do combat math. Okay, cool. Now we'll go play somewhere else. So that that's what I'm looking at it as. And like I initially um, started playing it with this idea that I was going to do cool stuff. And then I realized, dude, you're not going to do cool stuff. You're going to draft three twos with Menace and play Sure Strike and just wreck your opponent's face. And once I got that figured out, I've had a lot more fun with this. One of the things that I found, and it kind of just dawned on me the other day, is that like you can draft a color pair without having the synergy, right? Like you can draft a blue white deck that doesn't have the artifact synergy, but it goes up so much in value when you actually try to draft the archetype, which is neat because it doesn't punish the new drafters that know that you're supposed to draft a color pair and they find that lane and they stay in it, right? Like maybe they've done two or three drafts, but it rewards the experienced drafters that look for those cards that are kind of standing out um, to make that archetype work. So like in blue white, for example, you know, you're looking for the animators or you're looking for the gearsmith, um, you know, not just the gold card flyer um, and recognizing that certain cards don't go in that archetype, you know, thing like a stag goes in any white deck, but you wouldn't necessarily play a three one in that style of deck because maybe you're looking for field creepers in that spot or you're looking for, um, you know, the the one two that makes an artifact that flies instead of of filling up your deck with these kind of creatures that go in more of a red white aggressive deck let's say and it's neat because you can still build that deck and it can still function but if you're knowledgeable about the archetypes and you find those hidden gems you can get a you know five or six extra percentage points on your on your win win percentage going into a draft um and i think that's really cool i think it'll reward the people that play it a lot and i look forward to seeing what they do at the pro tour with i guess are they drafting this at the team pro tour maybe they're not I yeah, I haven't followed the Pro Tour in a while. I've been so into Digital Magic lately, I, it hadn't occurred to me to check on that. Yeah, I don't actually, maybe they're not drafting it. So in that case, then I guess I don't get to see pros drafted, but whatever. I'll watch you draft quick draft on uh, on Magic Arena instead. Yeah, I was going to say you can watch me. I'm a professional drafter. This is what I do for my income. So come on by. So there you go. Um, do you want to do a draft? It's also kind of neat. I, I do, but I, I wanted to even jump on that. Like after, Like that new player comes in and drafts a few times. The gold cards in this set did such a good job at telling you what the archetypes are supposed to be that like the first time you open one and see it, you're like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do in red black. I get stuff that I want to sacrifice and things I want to sacrifice it to. And like, I just, I know there's so many light bulbs going off for new players as they draft this. Like that, that, that just has me really excited for this set. I think we take, I'm so happy corsets are back. I think we take for granted how good of a job that Wizards does when designing these sets, right? Like you look at it and they, they throw all the signposts in there, but then they throw these extra cards in there that you might not recognize as a blue white artifact matters card, for example. Um, yeah. And 
and I just find it neat that if that new players can pick it up by looking at the signposts and experienced players can take that edge and it kind of plays well for everybody, even if ever, if it's not everybody's favorite set, it kind of just amazes me what they can do with their designs. So it's kudos to them, you know, even though it might not be a 10 out of 10 draft format, um, I think it'll do a really good job of introducing new players, especially on arena. Yeah. Which is exactly what they need right now. And there's tons of new people coming in, man. Like, it has not stopped. Every day that I stream, there's new people coming in with like, hey, what's draft? Yeah, it's... I'm like, boy, let me tell you. Boy, howdy, let me get you involved in this. Come join my game, please. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so for those that don't know, Wizards gave away a crap ton of beta keys, basically. Everybody that was in the game got five. They gave away thousands on their streamer kind of showdown thing that they had uh, last week on Wednesday. That, Congratulations uh, on being involved in that, by the way, Mr. Seville. Thank you. Yeah, I got uh, got the invite. Wizards provided me with the uh, the unlocked account and uh, a bunch of beta keys to give away. The funny thing was, is even though I had a lot of viewers, nobody needed beta keys. So um, anybody listening to the podcast, if you need a beta key, you absolutely should be able to find one. And if you can't, send me a message because I have a bunch. Um, but yeah, people or- are dumping them in chats like everybody's playing there was a uh, <laughs> yeah there was a hasbro uh, uh shareholder conference call last week or this week and uh they mentioned that they had either a million invited players or a million players that had actually registered i don't remember which it was but if it's a million invited players that's still a lot of players like you have to assume that some good percentage of there's been a good percentage of uptake in there of people are logging in and playing even if it's just one time like that's a lot of players playing Magic Arena. And I never thought in my wild streams that this game would have a million potentially registered users. You know, I figured maybe it'd be in the 10 to 20,000 range because that seems to be what Magic Online is. So it seems like growth is pretty good for them and there's a lot of people really excited about it. Um, You say it every day, you get a bunch of new people coming by your stream and they're like, what's draft? What's Magic? I've come from Hearthstone. How do I play this game? And that used to be once a week. And now you get yeah. multiple every day, which is kind of sweet. Sure. So it's it's pretty cool to see. Um, I'm really excited for the future of Digital Magic, even if it has to be Arena. I'm okay with that. Um, but uh, I hope it is, man. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Magic is just great in general. And the more people that play, the better it is for everybody. So Agree. So why don't we do an M19 draft along? I've been streaming a lot the last couple of weeks, which is great. Um, my win rate is right around 70%, which is pretty high for me, actually decently high um and i've been having a lot of success i had three count them three bolus drafts holy heck that's awesome dude i know it was fun first one went 3-0 second one went 2-1 third one went 0-2 so i need one more with a 1-2 to hit for the cycle there you go may his return be swift and may we be found worthy may we be found worthy indeed anyway this one is not a bolus draft but this was an m19 draft on magic online so I'm going to read you, do you want all the cards or you just want the kind of important ones? Um, let's go through the important ones. Just the important ones. All right. So pick one. Yeah, just the facts, ma'am. Pick one, pack one on Magic Online. So we're not drafting against boss here. We have Pegasus Courser. Okay. We all know Pegasus Courser. That's the 1-3 flyer for two and a white. And when it attacks, it gives something else flying. You got uh, it. I have first picked a lot of Pegasus Coursers. Yes. Uh, there is Starcrowned Stag. Okay. I like the Stag, too. We call him Big Stanley on the stream. Okay. After Territorial Hammer Skull, who is, uh, Stanley was MC Hammer's first name. Right. So he was regular Stanley, or little Stanley. 
Little Stanley. Little Stanley. Uh, so this is three and a white for a three three. When it attacks, tap something they've got. Mm-hmm. I like both of these cards. You've got Liliana's contract. Liliana's contract. This one's not jumping out at me. This one is. I have to remember exactly the casting cost. It's the enchantment that draws you a bunch of cards when it comes into play. Three black black. Yep. Uh, pay four life. Draw four cards. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. We've got Boggart Brute. Solid okay. three two menace for or three uh, three two menace for two and a red. Yep. And that's oh, and declare dominance. I know how much you love declare dominance. I actually really do like Declare Dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, three green green, target creature gets plus three, plus three, and everything has to block it. There you go. No removal in this pack, which is unfortunate, but I think those are the cards that stand out. Um, Bogger Brute's probably at the bottom of that, but I wanted to kind of indicate um, that if you like red, mono red aggressive, you can certainly take that. And there wasn't really another red card in the pack. So if you wanted to do the old trick of taking a card and cutting, right? Sending like white signals or something like that, you could certainly do that. Um, I'm not interested in Liliana's contract. I'm going to go ahead and rule that one out. Um, it, it doesn't look like it's di- super difficult to get card advantage in this format. It's harder here than it was in Dominaria for sure, but it's still pretty easy to do. Um, so I, I don't think I need to spend five mana to draw four cards. I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't play it. I'd certainly play the card, but I'm, I'm not going to pick it here. Um, I do think Boggart Brute is absolutely on par with both of those white cards. So like I, I it, it it it's it's a real question for me which of those I'd like to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them go in decks that want to attack on the ground. Frankly, all of them are probably at their best in red white aggressive decks. So I I don't really think you could go wrong in any of them. I'd probably gosh that's really hard, Dave. Are you thinking about this... the declare dominance? No, you're not on the declare not... dominance. No, I like Declare Dominance, but I like to pick a couple decent green creatures and then get past one mm-hmm. and then take that. I, I don't think I first picked Declare Dominance first. There's there's like reasons to get into green, and then that's a good like payoff because you're green. And I had a deck with two Declare Dominances once, and it wasn't actually good. I, I just kind of want one in the deck so I can draw it on turn 11 and then be like, oh, cool, I win. I'm with so you. So it, it's... It's almost like a, a weird falter that can be a weird edict, and you know if it has to be. Um, God, I'm I'm actively torn between these three cards. I'm trying to think what would I do if I'm doing it on stream. Honestly, if I'm doing it on stream, I probably take the brute. I've been really happy with red. Okay, I took the Starcrown Stag. Okay, because I think I like the Starcrown Stag in multiples. Um, like if you have two, I think it's pretty good. If you can get one down on curve, it's really good. Um, Pegasus Courser fills the same spot, kind of. Um, but I think Starcrown Stag is just its just a better body overall. You're going to do a little more damage with it. And um, just because you have a Stag doesn't mean you can't pick up a Courser later. So I think they're best buddies. I want the first Stag over the Courser. I don't mind taking the Brute here, but I think I like the Starcrown Stag a little bit more. So I went with the Stag. But I don't fault anybody for taking the Brute, especially since there's no other red cards in this pack. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. Is like, if red happens to be open, I'll be happy. If it's white that's open anyway, I'm really going to miss one of those two, but I can still cut it enough to knock my idiot neighbors out of it. Mm-hmm. All right. So pick two, or pack one, pick two. Notable cards are Pegasus Courser, again. Okay. Sh- Shield Mare. So that's the uh, one white white for the 2-3 horse that gains you three life. I don't actually like that card very much. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it either. 
Uh, it's okay. It, in blue, we have Avon Windmage. It's the 2 2 for 2 with Pseudo Prowess. Meh. Meh. Macabre Waltz. Speaking of your card advantage, I've really enjoyed this card like a ton in this set. Ske- yeah. Skeleton Archer. Maybe not a second pick, but anyway. Skeleton Archer. Yeah. So three back for 3 3 comes in ping something. Also been very, very impressed with that card. That's uh, good. Your only red card of note in this pack is the Viashino Pyromancer. Two and a one okay. that deals two damage to the face when it comes into play. Wow, this pack is kind of stacked, actually. Uh, Elvish Rejuvenator, two a green for a one one that looks at the top five, pulls a land out. Pseudo Ramp if you can get it. The Regal Bloodlord, which is the uh, black white gold card. Um, what's that? Five mana for a two four, if I believe. I'm just double checking here. Five mana two four flyer. Yeah. Uh, when you gain life at the end of that turn, you get a bat. So those are your options. You took a red card to start. It's kind of a dud for you, but you don't usually get focused on your first pick. So I feel like this is an open pack for you. Yeah, I'm slamming that Blood Lord. Mm-hmm. I got I got to play with one today, and it was uh, actively good. I had some of the Fountains of Renewal in there. I had a couple Neonates. Like, when I drew the Blood Lord, the, the deck kind of just hummed together and was beautiful. Uh, when I didn't, it sometimes struggled, which was a downside there. Because um, I, I think you actually need some of the four fours that, you know, turn your life drain into your 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 life gain into damage. But I, I think the power level on this card is enough that I don't care that I first picked a Bogart Brute. I'm just going to slam it. Are you okay with it if you end up with like a black white, mostly just like ground pounders instead of life gainers with like a couple of life gainers to get you an extra bat here or there? Or do you think you need to be like mostly in on the life gain to make you really want to play this card? I need to have at least a couple ways to trigger it, right? Like, it does, I have not had any trouble picking up a Vampire Neonate when I want one. Now, I'm drafting with bots, you're drafting against people, but I haven't seen any issue finding those Neonates relatively late if I want one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fountain of Renewals, I also feel like I have a shot at one of those just about every draft if I want it, even though it's uncommon. So, like, I, I feel like with just one of each of those... Or even a Child of Night, which is a fine passable two-drop and you need two drops in the format. I feel like if I've got just any of those, I'm pretty happy with it. It's one over-costed if I can't actually activate it for it to do anything, right? Yeah. But, like, maybe maybe I'll have a Lich's Caress in there, too, and, and that would make a token. So, like, I, I don't think I have to go all in, but I think if you're black-white, you're probably a little bit in. Yeah, you're just kind of randomly there. Yeah. I, I'm with you. All right, next up here, pack one, pick three. Uh, we have Oresco's Swift Claw. That's the vanilla or uh, fl- flavor text only three one in white. Uh, Essence. It's Scatter. also a cat. It's also a cat. We've got mm-hmm. Essence Scatter. Uh, pretty classic here. Um, I've been a big fan of Essence Scatter because Blue's removal is basically just dwindle and it kind of sucks. So uh, I've been pretty happy with Essence Scatter overall. Me too. Although it's important to note that Essence Scatter is not removal. Essence Scatter is two drop replacement. That gets better in the late game. Yes. So kind of kind of worth recognizing that distinction. In blue, that is basically blue's removal, right? Either you preemptively remove something or you tap something down. In this case, we don't have the tap something down. We have dwindle, um, which is also removal because... Dwindle's the, fine. It's fine. I think I like Essence Scatter a little bit more. But, like, that's what blue gets for removal, right? They get... It is, but, like, you can't top deck... Like, your opponent plays a 6-6 Trampler, and you top deck Essence Scatter, you're dead. Mm-hmm. You top deck Dwindle or, you know, um, Lich's Caress, you're not dead. 
So I, I, I think it's worth noting too many people just say, oh, take Essence Scatter, it's removal. I'm like, it's not removal, dude. It's a counterspell. It's an efficient counterspell, and it's one that I'm very happy to play, it, but it's not removal. Yeah, Essence Scatter always has a target. Um, a yeah. Dwindle you, like, usually has a target, I guess. Um, the thing that I like about Essence Scatter is that you can get yourself in a position where it's safe to hold up an Essence Scatter. Yeah. Right. And you can and you can make the decision after you see the spell. Sometimes with Dwindle, um, I feel like I should use it now, and then they play something bigger later. Whereas Essence Scatter, it's already on the board. You can't make that mistake. So I think it's they're different cards, obviously. But I think um, you want a good mix of Essence Scatters and some other piece of removal in your in your deck, obviously. Sure. Um, in black, we have Child of Night. Uh, we also okay. have we also have Mind Rot. If you're interested in a Mind Rot, in red we have a Spark Tongue Dragon. That's the uh, five mana three three with the potentially kicker when it comes into play to deal some damage to something, and then we have heroic reinforcements. Ooh, yes. So that's uh, two white red for uh, a couple of one ones. Give everything haste and plus one plus one till end of turn. That card's pretty stupid. Card's really stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to say, let's just take the dragon and then see which is open, black-white or you know, red X. Mm-hmm. But with heroic reinforcements, I'm kind of tempted to be like, you know what? Let's just take this and uh, see what's in the next. Yeah, I'm just, mark me down. I'm slamming it. Right. So if you took Bogger Brute, you're probably a little more likely to do that. Um, even though I took Stag, I ended up with heroic reinforcements, and I was pretty happy with the pick, I think. Not really. I uh, What was I hedging between here? No, I ended up taking it because there was nothing else in the pack. And I'm like, I really don't really want to play right red. You know, uh, the one time I had heroic reinforcements, I didn't like it. And that was probably just because I built my deck wrong. I wasn't aggressive enough. And then so people in chat were like, just take the card. So I took the card. And then uh, we went to the next pack here. And I was a little sad, but not too much. Not too sad. So we had uh, Knight's Pledge. Sorry, no, that's not that's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Knightly Valor. That's not an interesting card. We have another Essence Scatter. Wait, wait so Knightly Valor's in this pack? No, Knight's Pledge, not Knightly Valor. Oh, it's, it's the 2-2. Okay, two, okay. two. Plus 2, plus 2. Okay. Uh, we have Essence Scatter, so another Essence Scatter. Uh, we have a Snapping Drake, which is great. The 3-2 flyer for 4. Yeah. Uh, Surge Mare, which I have not been a fan of. That's the blue-blue 0-5. Um, I, I find it's... I never want to activate it. I, you know, I, I have activated it a couple times, uh, but I found that it is at its best in a blue-white skies deck where you just want the 05 body. And then eventually, randomly, if the ground ends up clear and you can get a loot out of it, great. But I think I've activated it twice, and I've played it a good bit. It, it's mostly an 05 wall with the threat of activation. Uh, Druid of the Cowl, so there's your mana ramp. And then we have a Rabid Bite. Those are the interesting cards in the pack. What are the red and white cards? Knight's Pledge, Fire Elemental, and uh, the one that destroys uh, land. Rupture Spire? No, no, sorry, that's the... No, sorry, Rupture Spire. That's your fixing land. So your uh, it comes into play tapped. Or, sorry, pays one when it comes into play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Ruptured Spire. I mean, I'm, I'm just taking the Rabid Bite. Yeah, that's... Straight up, right? It's the only card in the pack here. Well, I mean, Druid of the Cow is pretty pretty good, too. But I think Rabid Bite is a reason to be green over Druid here. So, Okay, so we're a little all over the place, but I think that's fine. Uh, Pick five. 
You've got a shield mare again, so this is the white horse. Um, we have a skeleton archer in black. We have a Viachino pyromancer in red. A bristling boar in green, which is the 4-3, can only be blocked by one creature. We have the thornhide wolves in green, 4-5. And a storm quarry. So here's a first piece of relevant fixing. It is red and white. Uh, for me, this is between the wolves and the boar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been relatively happy with both of them. But one thing that I've noticed is if I'm green, I want at least one Thornhide Wolves in my deck. Ideally, I want two of those and one of the Rocks Pizza Mages. Um, so I think I'm going to take the Wolves here. And I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm green. I'll figure out what the other color is later. I'm a little interested in it being red because I've got that Brute laying around. You're probably a little more interested in it being white because you got that stag laying around. Mm-hmm. But uh, Thornhide Wolves is 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 a relevant card in this format, and I am happy to pick one here. Yeah, I get Stonewall a lot by the Thornhide Wolves. I probably should have taken those. Um, I took the Shield Mare to try to continue that white dream, uh, whether that be white, black, or white, um, or white, red, or, or white, green, even. So I tried to basically find a white, find the white lane here and stick in it. Um, and hopefully it pays off. And I think Shield Mare is fine enough um, that it, like, if I want to keep playing my Stag, for example, and either the the Heroic Reinforcements or the the Blood Lord. One thing that I, I can ha- see your reasoning, but like I, I I've, I've I've played with Shield Mare a good bit, and it, it's just disappointed me consistently over and over and over mm-hmm. to the point that like if I'm in a life gain deck, I'm playing it out too early to get a benefit from the life gain. Like, it's not enough life gain that it matters. Now, I mean, it's better than, like, Talarian Scholar or whatever, but if that was a Talarian Scholar, you wouldn't be picking it here. We wouldn't even be talking about it. There may have even been one in that pack, and you didn't mention it. And this is kind of the same card. So for me, like, if here's where I'm like, the signals I receive are so important in the first pack. If I get that rabid bite, and then I get past the Thornhide Wolves, I'm like, okay, forget everything else, we're green and then maybe I get to play some of those, maybe I don't. And I think I'd still make that pick even if I had the stag. Mm-hmm. I hope I would. See, I don't think that Thornhide Wolves is necessarily a signal that green is open. Um, because I, No, but I think the bite is. I think The bite is for sure, but I mean, that's also pick four. Um, so, like, I don't know if you can put that much into seeing the Thornhide Wolves here. Maybe seeing it and the Bristling Boar is enough. Um, and we did see a Drool to the Cowl last pack, so... You're probably right. I probably didn't take the correct card here. Um, I probably got locked into playing white because of the four white cards I think I have at this point. So, Yeah, and they're good ones. <laughs> they're good ones. Absolutely. Um, next up here, so pick six. We have uh, Hired Blade in black. This is a 3-2 flash. We have this Siegebreaker Giant in red. So that's, uh, what is it? Three red red for a 6-3 trample with the activated ability. Uh, three in a red, something can't block. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, we have Tormenting Voice. So that's the uh, one red, discard a card, draw two. We have Centaur Courser in green, and we have Titanic Growth in green. So are you staying the green plan, or are you switching? Switching? Yes. Into red? Yes. I've already got a Bogger Brood. So you're taking the Siegebreaker Giant? I'm questioning whether I want that over the Centaur Courser. Because mm-hmm. the Siegebreaker Giant's a really good five. I've already got a good five. I've got a good three. Like, 
I'll probably find more good threes. Yeah, let's take the giant. Okay. Let's pair that, the Rabid Bite, the Thornhide Wolves, and the Boggart Brute, and we've got to start to a, a pretty good deck, I think. Pretty good deck, and you can also still backdoor into white-red if you wanted to. Yeah. Okay. I can dig that. I also took the Siegebreaker Giant because now I'm getting interested in playing that Heroic Reinforcements. Yeah, I could see that too. Right. Get some early damage through, Siegebreaker comes down and, and finishes the game off, so... Yeah, I, I played with Siegebreaker, and I've been quite happy with it. I have activated it and killed people. All right, so pick seven. Interesting cards for the both of us here. We have Invoke the Divine, so white enchantment removal. We have Tormenting Voice, red card draw, and we have Highland Game in green, which is the 2-1 that gains you life when it dies. Those are really the only three cards that matter for the two of us. Or What are the other, like, They're They're cards? not good. There's, like, Bog Stomper, Infectious Horror, Rogue's Gloves, Island. Just so, garbage. Just garbage cards. It's a garbage pack. All right, I'll take the Highland game. Um, I've played this some just because, like, I probably want about four two drops in my deck. This isn't the one that I want, but I can I can jam it in there. It'll be fine. Okay, and then finally pick eight of a Luxa and Linebreaker in white. Uh, we have a Catalyst Elemental, which is the uh, Gray Ogre in um, in red. We have a Lava Axe, a Sure Strike, a Thud. So note that there's was that four red cards here. And a, and a plummet. Ooh, I'm snapping up the plummet. Yeah. I actively want one of these. I was going to say Sure Strike looks good, and I'll certainly play it. But I've been main decking a plummet, and it has been phenomenal. Yeah, looking at this now, I took the line breaker, and this was probably midway through my M19 drafts. Um, now I probably would have taken the Sure Strike if I know that I'm red-white, I think, over the Lux and a line breaker. I think the line breaker is easily replaceable, um, and Sure Strike is a decent-ish removal spell in a, in a format or even in a deck that has to fight for removal with a lot of other decks. So, like, yeah. it's very hard to pick up a Luminous Bonds if you're next to a White Drafter. It's very hard to pick up a Lightning Strike if you're next to a Red Drafter. Um, so you kind of have to rely on your Opens, and Sure Strike kind of fills that gap. Um, it would have been nicer if I would have been, say, like... Or at least for removal-wise, if I would have been, like, Black-White... Uh, because it's a little bit easier to pick up black removal because there's just it seems to be more of it lich's caress uh you can it's get double black it's double black you can get it late sometimes um people don't like to pick up strangling spores so sometimes you can get those late if you absolutely need something that replaces it like an electrify let's say um and then every once in a while you get a murder as well so um so red white is definitely the hardest i think to pick up good high quality removal in Unless you open it. Can I can I mention that I've been really happy with Sure Strike in red black specifically? Because you've got the Boggart Brute Menace and then you got the two headed zombie yep. menace. And Sure Strike is so good with menace creatures. Yeah, and also the um the the three three menace in, in uh red black. Yeah, yeah, the gold card. Like yeah, it's just great with all of them. It's really good in that. So um, doesn't quite go as well in, in red-white, but um, it does kind of play well with um, cards like the stag, I find, too, yeah. because people are going to try to double block to get the stag off the board, uh, and sometimes you can get them there. So It's just good. So that's our first eight picks. I like that we ended up in different directions. Um, I think you picking up on the Thornhide Wolves being a signal is different than me uh wanting to stay in white and i think that's where we differed the most yeah and, and also pick one i mean i don't mind the bogger brute but i think star crown stag is um i've been very happy with it obviously so i, I don't fault anybody for taking either pegasus corsair stag or bogger brute there though 
Yeah, and I, I could see those being ranked differently in people's mind, but I just, like, I remember in Origins, which is the last time we saw Boggart Brute, how good it was. And every time I've resolved it, resolved it here, it's felt like that. If you just attack first before you play your, 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 your next creature or whatever, so many opponents, they just feel like they're scared to death that I have that sure strike. Yep. And that means it's going to deal nine points of damage to them until they finally, you know decide to double block it i've been playing active treason in decks that don't have sacrifice effects because it it's just good enough it makes me dis active treason makes me disappointed that i can't really play best of threes on magic arena (laughs) because the threat of activation on active treason is is so good when you have it on your side of the table and it feels so bad when your opponent has it on their side of the table in a best yeah. of one, I find myself, I'm like, they could have active treason. And then in a best of three, I'm like, I'm not going to play around it until they show me it. And um, and I find that the gameplay is just entirely different once you've had that one piece of information. I actually made a mistake the other day on stream where I played a round of active treason, let a creature of mine die because I would have died on the crackback to it. And instead, they just played like three creatures out on the next turn. And it was like, well, this sucks. They just played a bunch of two drops. And I, I and I could have had a seven seven stag that would have won me the game, but um, but I took the risk of not taking thirteen damage on the crackback, and uh, it was uh, incorrect. And all that was all because they showed me a lethal active treason in the game before they dealt me like eleven damage or something like that. And it's like, well, now I have to play around it. So um, it's kind of amazing what the mind games can do, and the difference between the best of one and best of three in that regard. But yeah. That was a good draft along. Thank you for drafting along with me. Thank you for bringing that up. I think I've always thought that that makes for good content for people listening in and looking to get better at draft. And I I like to see where other people's brains are too, because I know people who watch me often won't believe this, but I sometimes make mistakes. Uh, So it's always good to get another opinion. Not you. Yeah, me. Nobody. No, you don't make mistakes. All right. So let's talk about arena what do you want to talk about you had a very specific topic in mind this week yeah i well first i want to talk a little bit about m19 draft results uh and then i want to get into this draft sustainability uh, chart that we've got here a stream viewer uh made this and it is really really interesting so i want to talk about that too but so far i have done nine drafts on arena i'm 41 and 20 which is a 67 percent win rate the decks that have had seven uh, wins were green-red, red-white, and blue-green. Anytime I have drafted black, I have not won the seven games. So, And two of them were with, with red decks. So I, I, I kind of feel like I really like red in this format. Okay, interesting. So I'm going to compare that to you. So I've done 11 drafts on Magic Online for a 68% win rate. Um, I have three trophies. All of my trophies were monocolor decks. Huh. What colors? Mono blue, mono red, mono red. So red. So you like red too, is what you're saying. I like red when it's wide open. <laughs> um, yeah. And these were splashes. It wasn't true mono. So mono to me yeah. was like 13 islands or 13 mountains um and in my mono blue deck was actually the bolus deck so it was mono blue splashing red splashing black splashing white (laughs) seems seems very conservative i'm with you there and it was the easiest 3-0 i've ever had um but it was interesting to me that i found that 
monocolored first packs have been very successful for me. Um, oh, heck yeah. And staying open kind of as long as I can. So, like, I think that in the in the draft along that we did, I think that was kind of seeping into that draft where I was looking at the shield mare instead of looking at the Thornhide Wolves, for example. Because it's like if I can draft nine white cards that are decent out of pack one that sets me up really good going into pack two and I, I don't know if it's just an anomaly or if it's more pronounced in this format but it's like it, i find like if you can draft all of one color you can go into either archetype easily or like any archetype that pairs with that color easily because if you're drafting just a bunch of red playables you probably have a random act of treason you probably might maybe have like a dragon egg that can go in your sacrifice deck if you end up black but then you probably also have things like Boggart Brutes and Goblin Instigators if you end up maybe going wide in, in red-white. Um, so it's kind of cool that you can kind of straddle multiple strategies by just saying one color. And I, and I think I really like that. It's exactly what my last deck was. I was It's the 7-0. I was green with, uh, I think, a Boggart Brute, a Pegasus Courser, and uh, Spores. And then I opened Patient Rebuilding and said, well, we're green-blue now. Oh, Patient uh, Rebuilding and, is a dumb card. Yeah, I took that, got past a switcheroo, and was like, all right, let's have some fun. Okay. And then on uh, Arena, I've only done three drafts, but I'm, I have a 68% win rate in, in Arena and one seven zero, So not too bad. Okay. And that was with Black-White. So I'm kind of all over the map there. Um, pretty Pretty good results for me so far, but like... The only pattern that I have so far is, like I said, on Magic Online, it seems like the longer I stay in one color, the better my deck does. Yeah. I, I should mention, too, I did, I think, something like 10 drafts on Magic Online before I left for vacation, and I think they were nearly all two ones. I, I think I ended up with two trophies, but I just remember two one, two one, two one, two one. Mm-hmm. I wasn't tracking it then, but that would probably put me somewhere around 66% if I was just consistently two wanting. Yeah. And it like, I, I feel like I did at least six two ones. So pretty consistent in M60 or M19 overall for the both of us, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing, which is good. Okay. So let's talk about draft sustainability on magic arena. Um, what we mean by sustainability in, in we can do this, kind of calculation for magic online too but this is the expected value of a player at a specific win rate um and basically how many times can you draft on arena for your initial investment so if you put in ten dollars fifty dollars whatever it is what is your expected number of drafts can you get what is your expected cost per draft and we've talked about this before you specifically when it comes to the competitive drafts and how just not sustainable they are um and you were going off of i want to say it's it's anecdotal evidence like you were in there but it's like experience basically it it wasn't hard numbers but you were in there and you were like i cannot do this this is not possible for me to do and you had a pretty good win rate at that um but you had somebody come by your stream the other day and actually gave you some numbers and some charts on the sustainability of quick draft and competitive draft on arena so what what did that look like so yeah, I was going basically off of my experience and my gut and, and what I thought was going to happen about it. And then I had a stream viewer, Macau, who was very interested in this and ran some calculations. Now, unfortunately, I can't remember what the starting funds were for this. I think it was 9,200 gems, which is $50, I think is what he was using for this calculation. 9,600. 9,600. So that must okay. be $50. Okay. So this this was spending 50 bucks 
And I, I've got a huge spreadsheet here. I'm going to give you the highlights as we walk through it. If you'd like to see the whole thing, just come by the stream. We've been talking about it all week. You know what? I'll even be a big boy and put a link to it in the show notes. I always say I'm going to do that and I hardly ever do it, but I'll do it this week and Dave will tweet it out. But I'll walk you through briefly what this what this looks like. What he's done here is given you an average uh, sustained drafts for quick mode and competitive mode, which gets you a median number for like, how many drafts can I expect to do for this money that I'm spending? There's going to be a, a high end there for someone who does very well and a low end there for somebody who does very poorly. And he's tracked this at 50%, 55%, 60%, and 65%. So This is game win rate. This is not match win rate, which is something something to keep in mind here too. So this is basically comparing best of ones to the best of threes when it comes to winning individual games, not necessarily winning the entire match. So just keep that in mind as you look as you go through this Uh, actually it has been adjusted for that in the competitive mode oh has it been okay so this is an updated version that i haven't seen yet yes um english is not the first language of the individual who put this together so it's not worded quite well there but that has been taken into account on this chart okay then so without further ado uh i'm going to give you the like the important numbers here if you're winning 50 percent of your games the most drafts you will be able to do in quick mode is 40. The least you would be able to do is 14. And your average is 21. So if you spend 50 bucks, you're probably going to do around 21 drafts in quick mode. So you're looking at about 2 to 225 per draft, right? If I'm doing my math, my mental math correctly here. Is that right? For 50 bucks? Yeah. So 50 divided by 21 Are you is actually... 2.3. Yeah. There you, there you go. Um, now, one thing else I wanted to mention here is this isn't just like hard numbers. He actually did like a like a Monte Carlo simulation of this, right? Or, or basically math that mm-hmm. simulates 10,000 players at this rate. So obviously, you know, at a 50% win rate, you know you're 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 gonna vary between that but he also gave you this like the standard deviation and and the median but he also gives us a nice little chart of where the distribution of this breaks down because that you know your 50 percent win rate can be spread over a 7 and 0 and an 0 3 and another 0 3 and things like that right so he gives mm-hmm. us this nice breakdown of everything here and you can actually see what your probability is of falling in these different brackets and actually that's actually quite interesting to look at Yes. So I, I would encourage you guys to take a look at this chart as, as we go through it a little more. So again, big takeaways. You're going to do about 21 drafts, max of 40, minimum of 14. When we get into competitive mode, the maximum drafts you can do is 29. Minimum is 6. The median is 10. So if you're a 50% player, you're getting about double the value from playing quick draft as opposed to competitive draft. If you care about just the number of events. Yes. So yes. like nothing else was calculated in here. It's mm-hmm. just how much can I draft? Mm-hmm. So there is a pack reward, and I understand that that's certainly valuable to some people, but that's not included in these calculations. Right. Now, moving to 55% win rate, this does something interesting, and I'll point out the numbers that are, are, are interesting, at least to me. Max for quick mode is 49. Minimum is 15. Median is 26. All of those numbers went up. For competitive mode, max is 58. 
That is now more than quick mode. Minimum is 6. That did not change. And median is 14. That also went up. So at 55%, you should still be doing quick mode. We're getting to the, the heavy hitter here in just a minute. Bear with me. I know the numbers are boring, but bear with me. Move us to 60%. Your max at 60% in quick mode is 74. Minimum is 17. Median is 34. Competitive. Your max is 138. Your minimum is 6. This has not changed. This will not change. Your median is 23. Now what's interesting here is you should obviously still be doing quick mode, but I'm going to bring in a, a stat that we haven't talked about before, which is the standard deviation. The standard deviation was pretty darn close on quick and competitive mode at 50% and 55%. This deviation is like, how likely are you to deviate from the median? In quick mode, it's 7. In competitive mode, it's 14. So it's about double the deviation. This deviation could be described another way to people who play Magic. It's variance. So what that means is you're going to be further away from that median of 23 in competitive mode than you will be further away from that median of 34 in quick mode. So you should still be playing quick mode at 60%. And then this last one is where it's absolutely mind-blowing. And when I looked at this one, which is kind of funny because a cursory glance, which is what a lot of people in my chat did initially, they were like, obviously you should be playing competitive. But then when you really look at these numbers, you're like, oh my God, don't play competitive. At 65% win rate, your maximum drafts in quick are 140, your minimum are 21, your median is 51. In competitive mode, your max drafts is 1,200. Your minimum is 6, the same at all the other win rates. Your median is 80. So if you're just looking at the medians, which is what a lot of people do when they first look at this chart, they'll say, well, I get 80 drafts out of competitive, and 51 out of quick mode. So if I'm a 65% win rate player, which I am, I've tracked this, I'm 67%, you should be playing competitive mode. The problem here is the deviation. The quick mode deviation is 14. The competitive mode deviation is 131. That's 10 times the deviation from that median, meaning that, like I've been saying all along, if you have two or three losses in a row, by this account, if you put in 50 bucks, six losses in a row, or six losses over the course of time, you're done. You're out. You're cashed out and you're gone. And you're not going to be able to handle those swings. So what this information is actually telling us that, that's going to be useful for someone who's playing is if you're going to start and spend $200 on gems, go play competitive. Because you can probably handle those swings. Your bankroll is big enough and you probably will get more drafts out of it over time. But it's almost like the more money you have to spend, the less interested you'd be in that value anyway. So I'm not really sure like who would want to do that other than the novelty of playing competitive. So like seeing this chart really nailed it home for me that like quick draft is where it's at. If if I'm a you know quick drafter for 50 bucks, I can get 51 drafts and pay a dollar a draft. And this isn't even calculating in the fact that I get, you know, one and a half for free a week with the gold that I'm earning while I'm questing. So like realistically, I'm probably getting closer to 60 drafts here. And I've got, you know, currently 2% on this, although I'd be surprised if I wasn't 80% an hour of devastation. Uh, so that'll change some by format. But for me, quick draft is where it's at. 
and then until they either change competitive mode or release a different mode um, or release uh, Quick Draft as Rivals of Ixalan, I will be drafting Quick Draft. Do you know what's interesting? The main reason why these are so different is because of the number of games that you play. You play up to nine games in Quick Draft, right? Six and three or seven and two are kind of the, the top records you can get for number of games. And in competitive mode, you play, what, seven? Six, right? Five and one or uh, four and two, right? Because it's two losses and you're out. Mm-hmm. So you play two-thirds of the games. and But they're best of three. But they're best of three. But the, it's not the games that count. It's the matches. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So your if now if, if this if this chart is correct it still says at the top that that the, the fact is competitive is best of three is factored into the calculation i still think that's a game win rate of 65 percent and not a match win rate of 65 percent um, as he explained it on stream he meant that it was match win for competitive okay but e- e- even way. if it's not let's understand that a, a game win percent of 50 percent it's probably 55 like you're basically adding 5% to your win rate when you move to best of 3. Yes, that that's that's what I am. I'm a 60% win, game win rate and a 64% match win rate player on Magic Online. So it 4 to 5% is accurate, I would say. And of course, the lower you go, the closer to a 50% win rate you would get on the match side as well. Yeah. Right. So but because you're playing fewer results that that actually matter in your standings in, in progressing your your earnings, you know, in, in quick draft you can suffer those individual losses a little bit better because you have a chance to recover and still get to that seven or six win plateau. But in in when you only have two to lose, right? If you lose a couple of matches, you're out. Um, that variance, you know, you don't have that time to make it up. So I'm wondering if. In competitive draft, if we played seven wins versus three losses like we do in quick, but still best of threes, I'm wondering if you would see these numbers come close together or if this is mostly determined by the prizing. And I think it might be a factor of both. I think you would see that standard deviation come down quite a bit. I think if we played more matches in competitive draft, but it is also the prize problem where like you just get stone nothing for like what is it 01 and 02 or sorry 01 2 and 02 you get nothing right you get packs yeah but you don't get gems and we don't care about packs right now um whereas yeah. in, in in quick if you go 03 i think you still get 50 gems back so you still yeah. get a fraction right you can you can still chain a bunch of those together and get one extra draft at the end of it all whereas in in competitive you just can't yeah um so but that's crazy that's mind blowing to me that the that the swings are that that much and when we're looking at this chart and, and we're saying like the max sustained draft and the min sustained draft, that's just from the Monte Carlo simulation. So Monte Carlo simulation is something that's run like thousands and thousands of times. But in, in this case, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe there was like one drafter in there that had a minimum of six, you know, like 65% win rate. That's really good. No, it was 600 out of 10,000. 6%. That's insane. If 6% of your best players, like 65% win rate is very good. Yeah. If 6% of your best player or 6% of your best players get to get scrub out on $50 in six drafts, like they're not going to draft again. Yeah, they're done. 
that doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm glad that we looked at the numbers here and I'm glad that we can provide common sense, valuable feedback to the arena team because this is just not sustainable. It isn't. And maybe they'll see that with their numbers, you know, their metrics that they track and, and watch the people that actually play the game. But, you know, I think we should share this. I think we should throw this out to the world, which is what we're doing now, and say, like, look, like, Quick Draft is great, but give us a prize structure and a best of three that makes sense and makes it sustainable. And all of these, all of, everything we've seen here is that Wizards is taking their cut, and that's fine. Wizards has to make money off of this. People need to understand that that's great, right? Some people call it the I'm rate. happy with that. I want to give them money. I want to make sure that they can keep this game going, right? We don't want, like, a Duels of the Planeswalker scenario where the service is shut down one day, right? We want this no, to, no, no. to be successful and make money, and that's great. And when you're looking at all of these things is that eventually everybody will run out of gems, and that's fine, okay? Like, I don't think people should be able to draft forever. I think that, um, you know, like a 75% win rate is probably fine if you want to go infinite and that 99% of the players are going to spend money or in some capacity, whether that's they're, they're free-to-play gems or they're free-to-play gold or actual dollars in the game. But, like, you can get a lot of drafts for your $50, which is really good. Like, 50 drafts for 50 bucks. I mean, people buy 50 tacos for $50, and you get more value out of this at the end of the day, I would say. So just just tweak that best of three. Just get it to a spot where it's not so random. And the, the highs are not... Well, I mean, the highs aren't even really that high. It's really the lows that are super low. Just give yeah. us this level, this level experience where I can be excited for 5-0 and like, yes, I get to draft two more times with this and I can be beat up on an 0-2, but I can say, man, I can get right back in there because I 5-0'd the last one and let me get right back in there. Don't make me alt F4 the game because I 0-2'd, 0-2'd, and now I'm out of gems. Like, I don't yeah. want to do that. You don't want me to do that. Magic Arena team doesn't want me to do that. Let's just make I, it good for everybody. I don't think they do. I mean, there's also the possibility that they don't want people to view this as only a drafting mechanism, that they want you to play both sides of the game. Because to be fair, none of these calculations include the packs. And I've kind of got this running joke going on stream where I stopped opening the packs after the Dominaria incident, and I've saved them all, and I'm not going to open them. I want to see how many I can get and take a screenshot of it and post it on Twitter before they do the reset. And we're up to something like 120 now. So like that that just has absolutely no value to me. But to someone who is playing both sides of the game and is doing constructed, that could be quite a handsome reward. So like if their intent is you're not going to just draft on this, you can't. You have to play both sides of the game. Then maybe this price structure is something they're happy with. That's also not going to make me happy because it means I'm predominantly going to be always doing quick mode. So like th there's got to be some balance here, but we're very early and I'm I am very hopeful that they'll adjust either the prize payout or as you mentioned add this into 7 and 3 because the fact that if you you, you know you, you can't lose 2 and then run 7 whereas in quick draft you can and that that's reducing some of that variance and making that standard deviation smaller so the, like there's things here that I think they could fix but I, I am very happy to be able to share this information because all I could really say is it doesn't feel good look at the pricing um I, I don't know that I've ever actually told this story, but on a very... Have you ever heard of the uh, Monty Hall paradox? Yeah, the um, the choose choose, choose a door and then swap the doors, or uh, your, the host opens a door and gives the opportunity to swap, right? It's a classical statistics problem. Yeah, I, 
I had never heard that one before. And on a very early date, uh, Kelsey asked me that, that, that question. And I was like, well, obviously you should switch. And then I explained why. And she said, I like you. You understand statistics. Because apparently most people get that wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I think... Now, let, let's, let's get a couple things correct here. I can barely speak English, right? Like, I've got a terrible accent. I can't spell anything correctly. There's a lot of things I'm really not good at. But I do seem to have an innate understanding of statistics. And I, I could tell people that this didn't seem right, but I couldn't put my finger on why. And after looking at this, I can be like, it's 10 times the deviation. There's 10 times more variance in drafting competitive than in quick mode. And I like I'm all down for variance if the reward is high enough, but the the reward isn't high enough. I'm risking getting thirty more drafts for for getting something like God. What is that? Fifteen less drafts? That's not a gamble I'm willing to make. If if my goal is just to continually be drafting on stream, then that's just absolutely not worth it for me. So w- with any hope, they'll look at these numbers look at who's playing what, and swap them around some. I'd love to see that. If the end result is that like competitive mode is going to stay how it is, then I'll just be quick drafting mm-hmm. and saving you know my competitive streak for when they actually have tournaments in the game. Well, they also have said that there will be some kind of draft mode between the two. Yeah, and maybe that's the one for me. And maybe that's the one for me too, right? Um, best of three with a gold entry fee or something like that. Um, it's... Variance never feels good when it's that swingy. Like you have yeah. to like there's variance in everything. There's variance in life, there's variance in cards, games, it doesn't matter. There's variance in everything. People get lucky and people get unlucky. It's when there's wild swings of luck. Like I woke up this morning and I had a flat tire and then driving to work I got into a car accident and then something else really bad happened. Like nobody wants that. It's like I got up in the morning and I spilled my coffee. Big deal. I can deal with that. It's the major swings that really get to people and make that make things suck. Um, and that's why you don't see successful games that have huge amounts of variance, right? There has to be enough variance that you feel like you have control over the situation, um, but enough variance to keep it interesting. And, uh, and that's just lacking here. So Magic, great game when it comes to variance. Competitive draft, not so great when it comes to the variance. Yeah, look at this competitive draft. I mean, you and I have played PUBG in similar games before, almost as if like only one in three houses had a gun in it and you drop down. Like, that's just not going to be fun because you either get lucky and you find the gun or you don't and you're dead. Uh, And that's kind of how I feel like competitive mode is now. I thought that's how PUBG was. Well, okay, one in ten houses, you're right. It kind of is one in no, three. But I, imagine they'd stretch it out even further. I think that's just me being terrible at the game. So <laughs> Maybe that too. All right. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll link this in the show notes. And uh, if anybody wants to have a further discussion on this, um, we can speak to the person behind the numbers as well. We can get... The formulas aren't here. These are just the results of his... Uh, I don't know if he wrote a program for it or just ran the calculations, but... Um, is certainly interesting and he didn't even throw the charts on here for higher win rates because i think 65 percent is a good target for most people all right um Agreed. anything else anything else this week or should we wrap it up there i think that's enough for now all right it was a good talk this week um yeah we'll just uh we'll just wrap it up there so good to have you back uh we missed last week obviously but we're gonna be back to our regular schedule starting next week this episode goes up on saturday so apologize for the delay there but uh thanks to uh face-to-face games.com our host 
and uh, all the support that they give us as well. And uh, where can they find you streaming Magic this weekend, I guess? You can find me this weekend at twitch.tv slash Simulan. I'm also on Twitter under the same. And I checked out our iTunes reviews the other day. They're all from last year. If you like the podcast, uh, stop by and say something nice about us on iTunes. It helps more people find us. That would be outstanding. You can kind of, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter at dcivillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Had a good stream uh, the last couple of weeks. Had some uh, bunch of new people come by the stream. Bunch of people that never heard of Men From Moda before. So that was pretty cool. So... If you're listening for the first time, make sure you come by and give us a follow, and uh, we'll draft. I'm on Magic Online. Travis is on Arena. Uh, Either way, it's a good time. So, once again, Mm -hmm. thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.